each time I sit, there is this emptying and uh, dying process to the self. So that happens over and over again during that sit. And I think it's helped me to be a little able to, to die in small ways each day to say a position I might have taken on an issue or a need that I thought I really needed to have or a conflict or whatever. Things just don't seem to be as big a deal anymore. And when they're not that big a deal, there's all this spaciousness for peace. excited to share with you an interview I did with Nancy Herlin. Nancy is a guide and practitioner of contemplative prayer. Over the last couple of episodes, I have taken you through the Shamatha Vipassana meditation of the Buddhist tradition. That's one practice I'm playing with these days. Another one is contemplative prayer. I've been practicing with Nancy for five weeks and I felt compelled to share with you our experience and a little bit about it in case you want to give it a try. Welcome to Ready, Get Centered, Go. I'm Jess Goulding. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you for having me. This is uh, something I've looked forward to for a while. Um, I'm happy to have you here to talk about contemplative prayer. So I've met you, I met you uh, several years ago at Shepherd of the Hills Presbyterian Church here in Austin. And at Shepherd of the Hills, over the last few years, we've worked together on spiritual retreats. And so that's when you decided to offer contemplative prayer through the church, I was very interested. I'd done a little bit here and there, um, but hadn't really committed to a, to a time, a daily or for us twice a week prayer mm -hmm. time. And one of the things that made it tantalizing to me is when we were in an online meeting and you said that this time for you has been transformative, this time of, of COVID, because you have been practicing centering prayer every day with a group. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think it was the second week of March when my spiritual direction program, of which I'm enrolled, sent an email out saying that their usual in-person group was moving online to Zoom and it was open to everyone. And I thought, why not? I had been practicing on my own off and on for several years, but really i needed the structure the discipline so i joined them and i loved it because the format was was a 30 minute stretch and we were all practicing alone but together and it it's amazing how you can feel a community even on zoom and so i joined it and i have been doing that for since the second week in March as a group. I still have my single practice by myself, but I, I do that. I love it. And what kind of changes have you noticed for yourself? Say, maybe in your mind or how you see the world? Anything that really comes to mind about that? Well, 
the thing about it is what I've noticed is sort of after the fact, my responses to things have shifted. So where in the past I might've gotten worked up over something, I think I just look at the situation differently. I, I noticed I seem to be a little more present to the immediate moment instead of going to the future, which is my first choice. And in the present moment, I think that's where the awareness is. That's where the acceptance is. And ultimately, that's where the love is, which is available not only to give to others, but to myself when uh, I might need it. And so I think the thing about, I've been thinking about this, and I think the thing about Centering Prayer that I've noticed is that each time I sit, there is this emptying and uh, dying process to the self. So that happens over and over again during that sit. And I think it's helped me to be a little able to, to die in small ways each day to say a position I might've taken on an issue or a need that I thought I really needed to have or a conflict or whatever. Things just don't seem to be as big a deal anymore. And when they're not that big a deal, there's all this spaciousness for peace. So that's been especially helpful during the past seven months. And I would like to think it's helped me to become more loving and responsive to others, but you'd have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you become interested in contemplative practices and traditions in the beginning? Ah, well, I, I was raised in the Christian traditions. So that together with probably, I would say the natural world, because I was outdoors all the time. I think that shaped my spiritual orientation. And it was about 20 years ago at a spiritual retreat that I felt for the very first time, even though I had been a Christian my whole life, I felt like at that point, I truly heard God speak to me. And it was in the middle of a labyrinth. And that awakened in me a desire to have a more personal kind of experiential relationship with God that I didn't have before and that I've been opening up to ever since. And so since that call in the labyrinth, I've mostly related to God through church worship and scripture, leading Bible studies for gosh, over 10 years. And that was a rich time of learning who God is and who God's created me to be. But my serious interest in contemplative practices and traditions probably started developing about three years ago, beginning, interestingly enough, when I was introduced to the Enneagram of Personality by Beth Mueller. Mm. Because that process be began an excavation of sorts into who I am, and then, of course, into who God or spirit is for me. And you may remember that I'm an Enneagram 8. Yeah. So as an eight, I learned why I tend to want to control things, why I'm all about doing, uh, supported by thinking, and why that feeling side of me, while I never really thought it was there, is there. It's present, but it's pretty inaccessible. So it was at another Enneagram workshop that I learned that if we are to become whole, we really need to integrate both our doing, our thinking, and our feeling centers. 
And it was there that I learned about contemplative practices as ways to become more whole, ways to relate to God in a way that helps me see God in everything uh, and in everyday situations and allows God's spirit to transform me. Like I can't do it, even though as an eight, that would be my personality. I'm going to transform. But I, I think I've come to, to really appreciate that I can be in places and do practices so God's spirit can transform me. So I just started trying different things to see what resonated with me, what brought up, especially brought up those repressed feelings, because that's the part of me to become more whole I need to work on. What brought more of a sense of balance? What helped me um, be more than do? Because I realized my doing was so out of whack that I needed to more help being. So that's kind of in a nutshell my, my journey to all the contemplative practices that I engage in now. Yeah, it really sounds like you got each piece of the puzzle as you were ready to receive it and work with it. Isn't that the truth? It's just the way. It's just the way. <laughs> um, I'm curious a little bit, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about the labyrinth experience, kind of your before and after. Would it be correct to say that before you hadn't felt a feeling connection to God or it was just different or, uh, you know, that, that stands out to you as this watershed moment. And I'm just kind of wondering what, what was before that versus after. I think before that was a, an experience that was inaccessible. It was an experience that said, I, the church, know who God is, what God is, and this is it, and we'll just tell you about it, and you can sing about it and pray about it. And when I was in that labyrinth, which, by the way, was my first time ever in a labyrinth, and so I was a little apprehensive, and I thought, what is going to happen in here? When I got in the center of that labyrinth, and I said, really, in this way, okay, God, so now what? <laughs> That's what I said. And um, the experience was, and I was near the ocean, the experience was that I felt this lifting of my heels. There was a gust of wind that lifted my heels, and, and in my ears I heard, I will carry you. And... Jess, it was a really hard time for me then. I had three little kids. Um, my husband was working crazy hours. I never saw him. I was working and I was at my wit's end. And when I was in the center and when I heard that voice and my feet were lifted, there's no reason my feet would be lifted at that precise moment, right after I asked that question. And I thought, there's something more here for me. There's more of an experience and I want this. And so after I realized that there was something deeper, something more possible for me than what I had been fed and had been a passive recipient of, frankly. Yeah. What would you say to people who 
would love to have that kind of experience, but haven't. So they're, they're still in a thinking God space or receiving information space, mm. but craving that connection. What, what would you say to them? Or is there anything that um, you would encourage them to do, to think, to feel, to have, how might you encourage someone or what would you say to that kind of person? Cause there's a lot of, yeah. I would say that spirit or God or whatever you want to call it is always active in our lives, always inviting us, always drawing us into deeper relationship and ultimately to move us toward more love. And this is happening whether we know it or not, or whether we listen for it or not. And so I, I would say, listen. No, I would, I would first say, expect it. Expect that that's what's happening. Expect it's available for you. And then do things to put yourself in a place where you can listen. You know, listening is so, so very important. St. John of the Cross says that silence is God's first language, but we have created an environment, a society where there is so little silence that we, I think we've lost the art of listening. I, I agree. And you can see it in the tenor of arguments and conversations on the microcosm and the macrocosm on earth. You know, just that not listening, but making sure that our own voice is heard over the over the listening piece mm -hmm. um, yeah are you still practicing labyrinth from time to time i am and actually two years ago i built a labyrinth on my property and with my bare hands and i go out there as often as i can now that the weather's changed i get to go out there a lot more often but it is a place where i can really feel that connection i think it's the the, med the walking meditation, something that the bo my body can do and it settles me so that I can be and listen. Yeah. And I'm curious about that first labyrinth time you did. How was the walking out? Did you feel lighter on your feet or did you feel like giggling or was it just, do you even remember the leaving? Oh, oh yes, I do remember it. I was kind of giggling. I, I felt like I was in on this secret and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to tell these people because after we went through the labyrinth, then we were going to have a debrief time. And I was walking up to the Abbey where we were doing it. And I thought, they're not going to believe me. And then I thought, I don't care. I'm going to tell them what happened to me there. And they listened. Yeah. They received it well. They received it well. Yeah. And had others had similar experiences? I don't know if anybody had something quite like that. But what I find when I lead people in the labyrinth and when I walk in the labyrinth, there's usually something there for people because the labyrinth is the symbol of our journey and our journey to a deeper connection with God. And so that process, that symbol um, becomes alive and shows us things we need to, to pay attention to in our lives. I I, uh, I've had some amazingly beautiful labyrinth experiences as well. It's one of my favorite practices. Um, and the, the, the thing that I love the most about it often is that 
the way it's designed, you come close to the center. So there's times in your life you're close to God. And then you, next thing you know, you're way out far in those times where you feel a little more separated. And it helps me just get okay with that, that sometimes in my life, I'm going to feel super connected to source. And sometimes in my life, it will feel farther away. But like you said, regardless, it's, it's always there. It's that, it's that wind that lifts your heels. It's just always there. Just are you, are you able to open up to it? Are you able to, to feel that and then to do practices to make yourself available? So how long have you been doing centering prayer? I have been doing centering prayer probably for a little over two years off and on, uh, on my own. And I've gone to a couple of centering prayer all day retreats. And then over the past seven months, I've been practicing with this group. And that's what's really solidified the practice for me. I remember reading something that said something like 90 days of centering prayer will change you. And it's interesting that I remember about three months into the pandemic thinking, hmm, I'm noticing some things. And I, 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 I wonder if that centering prayer had something to do with that. So for five weeks now, I have joined a group that you lead Mondays and Friday mornings. And I would say that that space between stimulus and response has expanded. That I see improvement in relationships that have struggle, family of origin that I would really much rather be in a place of agreement about all things and we don't. And that is hard for me. But this practice has made it okay. This practice has made it okay for me to do and see and be different than my family of origin without having fear or without feeling left out or upset. Yes. So the gift it's given me is improved relationship just around this, you know, just some key areas sitting in consent with God and just being there helps me just sit in consent with other things. Well said. I, 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 I can connect with that. And one of the things that I've read and I believe it to be true is that during that centering prayer time, it, something occurs called divine healing, right? So we just sit back and we let God, we consent. And so it, we sit in silence and rest in God and God does all the work. And I like that if, my goal right now is to be as opposed to do. But that work that God does, I think, is some healing, some allowing of things that maybe we've been struggling with. I've seen that present in my experience, too. Yeah. yeah I'm saying that all the time. Like, you set yourself up in a posture. Let the posture do the work. You're going to become stronger. You're going to become more flexible. You're going to come up against your mind. And you're going to stay and let the yoga do the work. Yeah. It transforms from the inside out. And, and it's the same. I mean, you're sitting, which is a posture. Like there is asana there. there the sitting is a posture. And opening is, 
is the intention of the posture. I'm wondering if you've ever explored other kinds of meditation in your life. Oh, sure. I, um, I really do think that there, that to find that deep connection with God, there are a lot of ways. And for me, one of the ways that I find that connection is when I go through a guided body meditation, which, you know, I've thought about it. It makes sense since I'm in the body triad. Uh, I've used, I view yoga as a, a form of meditation. I've practiced that off and on for probably over 20 years. Uh, I've had a mindfulness practice in the past. I really enjoy Lectio Divina, which is meditation on scripture or a poem. And uh, one of the types of meditation that I've been playing around with is effective meditation, reading a passage or, or a story and trying to imagine myself in that story and imagine the character's feelings, mm. which I think is helpful because it seems like it's easier for me to imagine the feelings of others than it is for me to get in touch with my own feelings. And so it's practice. Pema Chodron's books, it's all about compassion. Yes. Self-compassion. I can't tell you how many clients I work with where it's just, we're going to work on that self-compassion piece because so many of us have this voice that is cranky and could be shaming, could be guilting, but mm -hmm. we can do this work to undo those patterns and switch it to self-compassion, which then the idea is then you're more available to be compassionate for others. Right. So it goes both it goes both ways, but we have to heal. We have to heal. What do you think is different about centering prayer from say mindfulness or um, you know, the other practices that you've done? Right. Uh, first of all, I guess I would say that I, I like to think of prayer as that loving communion with God. So that's beyond our typical understanding, or at least my early understanding of prayers, which are the vocal prayers, the saying of the prayer. And when people think about prayers, they think about that. Um, so I, I view meditation or meditative prayer as the thinking about or reflecting that pondering about that loving communion with the divine. The Latin word meditatio means to think, to contemplate, to, to ponder. So I, I think of meditative prayer more as what I'm thinking about. So in that Lectio Divina, it's really thinking about that union with the divine. Centering prayer doesn't involve intentional thinking. Now we do do thinking, um, but it is the receptive silent prayer of, like you said earlier, consenting to God's presence and action within us. And that consenting can lead us to a place of resting in the divine, which uh, people call contemplation. So we sit in silence and we rest. I think I said this before, and God just does all the work. And I like that. So the way I think about it is meditation is thinking about God, centering prayer is consenting to God, and hopefully we're putting ourselves in a position to rest in God, which is contemplation. This is a beautiful description of those different aspects of sitting in quiet um, and not putting them on a, on a ladder of a progression. They just simply are different ways of connecting 
when I first did teacher training, it was all in this method called Anasara. And I loved it because it, it was an umbrella that you could have any faith within it. It didn't brush up against anything that was inside of me in any, in any way. And um, the first two things that you do in any posture is you set the foundation, right? Figure out where your hands and feet are. And then you open to grace. And that was the phrase, open to grace. So it's like a consent to the pose. It's a consent to showing up right here, right now. It's a consent to being open to the revelatory aspect of the divine in that moment. And, and when you said consenting, it made me think that at first I, I consented. And then I realized that for my particular personality, I had to go beyond consent to surrender. Mm because there was this consent, but then I would still feel like I wanted to control the experience. And so I had to say, and in fact, my sacred word right now is surrender. I'm surrendering it all. I've consented and I'm giving it all to you and I'm resting in you and let it be what it is. And so this kind of brings us to the practice of centering prayer. Can you just describe it a little bit and in a minute I'll, or in a little while I'll ask you to kind of just take us into it um, briefly. But I think this would be a good time to just hear, how does this work? What's the process of centering prayer? Sure. It's not a, it's a process that's not unfamiliar to those who work with you with yoga because you, you find a spot that's quiet where you won't be interrupted and you sit in a comfortable, uprighted, seated position, either on a chair, on a mat, whatever. And before you sit, uh, you choose a sacred word. And the sacred word is a symbol of what your intention is. And your intention is to open and consent to God's presence and action within. So it doesn't matter what your word is. You just need to pick one that represents to you what consenting to God's presence means to you. So for me, it needed to be a surrender. But for others, it could be peace or be still or trust. Or even as you asked the question, which was a really interesting one in our last session about, does it have to be a word, right? And it, it doesn't. For some, the sacred breath is more helpful or even something called the sacred glance for visual learners, where there's just a, a looking down maybe at a candle or it's just something. But often we suggest, or I've seen suggested just to start with that word and move to something else if it doesn't work, right? So you, you pick a word, you sit and close your eyes and you just settle briefly and silently introduce that word as your symbol to consent to God's presence and action. And then, not if, but when you engage with thoughts during this sit, and those thoughts can be stories, they can be body sensations, feelings, images, reflections on what happened this past day or whatever. When you're engaged with those, then you return very gently with self-compassion to the sacred word. And then at the end of the prayer period, we sit in silence for a little bit with our eyes closed. We pick up our mat or get out of our seat and we just continue on with our day. Now, different centering prayer practices 
handle the before and after a little differently. There are lots of options. Some, as we do in ours in the morning, we begin with a chant to ground ourselves in our bodies so that we can really and truly be present. And others use some scripture or a poem or something and silence, and then they move into it. Also heard uh, some people use a, a, a non-English word on purpose so that their word doesn't have a story around it. Well, how about we do, maybe you could just kind of talk us into it a little bit or give us the, the words and then we'll just let it, let it sit for a moment. Let's, let's do a 20, 30 second practice. Could you guide us into that? I will, I will, I'd be happy to. So normally we begin with a chant to ground ourselves, but today let's just take three deep cleansing breaths and then I'll open us up with Psalm 4610. And I'll ring the bell to begin and I'll ring the bell to end. How about that? Wonderful, thank you. So let's take three deep breaths. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still, be. Just that small bit, just that little bit. I can feel myself already quieter. Mm. And that was less than a minute, you know. Like we, always, we often tell you, it's it's a twenty-minute sit traditionally, but I always encourage people if that feels like a lot, do two minutes. Yes, I've people have asked me how should I start, and you know, I just. Practically, I say, just step in and try it. I think maybe be willing to give it several weeks just to know whether or not it's meaningful to you at this time in your life. And some people find centering prayer can be uncomfortable when they begin. I found it uncomfortable when I began because I had to sit so still. <laughs> but part of it is allowing that discomfort, not resisting it, just noticing it, allowing it, saying your word, letting it go and sitting with it. And then I started on my own five, with five minutes 
and I gradually got to 20 minutes. Somebody might consider doing it that way, or if they're brave, they might just dive into the 20 minute sit and see what happens. Yeah, so long, so long as they know it's, it's gonna be a mess up in there. <laughs> in the head. I, I, my first time doing this with you this time through, uh, my first response at the end in my mind was, oh my God, I hated that. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> you know, and I've been doing meditation for years, but it was, it just felt different because I'm so used to doing it one way. I had to overcome a lot of just aversion, just stubborn. No, this is how I like to do it. This is how, but it has opened up new pockets in me of patience and willing to sit in the discomfort. This is something I teach a lot, just, you know, when you hold a pose for a long time, it's not comfortable. Right. And the ability to sit in discomfort with, be it feelings or a physical sensation, really expands our resilience. It expands our ability to be with others. I mean, how often is someone crying out in pain, but because we don't know what to say or what to do, we don't do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone is grieving, People say, I just don't know what to say. Well, this teaches you, well, then just go sit and be uncomfortable. Just go sit. Exactly. And, you know, many people are sitting in, in being uncomfortable right now. That, that's the definition of many people's lives. And I think this practice helps with that, to be able to sit and be in discomfort and just allow and consent and no, nothing is forever. I think that there's a part of all contemplative practices that either perceives or desires to respond to the needs of the community or the world around us. Richard Rohr says, if we pray, but we don't act justly, our faith doesn't bear fruit. So I think there's a need for both contemplation and action. So our doing, our thinking, and our feeling can all be joined together and wholeness and ultimately with deeper love. And, and so the other thing I, I think is that when we engage in contemplative practices, we have to be willing to honor this sense of mystery and unknowing. We have to depend on God's grace and mercy to guide us, to carry us um, where God would have us go, not necessarily where we would want to go. And most cases, not where we would want to go. It reminds me of one of my favorite poems of John O'Donohue, and I think it's one of my favorites because it's so short, I can actually remember it. Um, and it goes like this, it says, I would love to live like the river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. And I think for me, contemplative practices and particularly centering prayer helps make this poem come alive. What I've come to realize is that I have a new spiritual practice as a result of that allowing right allowing the flow and that is 
watching my six-month-old grandson. Because of the pandemic and because of daycares are not open, et cetera, that my initial plan to watch him maybe one day a week turned into three. And initially, I wasn't quite so sure about that. That wasn't my plan. And what I've come to realize is that time is really one of my favorite spiritual practices because it's teaching me beginner's mind. You know, the, the beginner's mind is the mind that faces life like a little child, the one that has wonder and curiosity. And it's because I let him lead me. And last week I was thinking, we were sitting in a grassy area and there were some little stones and pebbles. And so I just started piling them up while he watched. And I was so present in that moment. It was him, it was me, and it was the stones and God, just for several minutes. And then I came out of it, right? Because we can't be present all the time. And I realized that not only was this the first time he'd experienced piling stones, but I'd been invited into an experience and to experience this as the first time again too. And so I would not have had that. It's, it's really amazing. And so letting the contemplative practices lead you to where they lead you, opening, having more space for, for what is, and then just stepping into it. Do you think that you have to be a Christian to practice Centering Prayer? Uh, uh, I don't see why this practice wouldn't be helpful to anyone with any spiritual tradition, as long as someone is interested in going deep in that relationship with spirit, I think this is a method that would work. I, I think about it kind of like when people of different faith traditions practice yoga, or, you know, I think there's an invitation for anyone who's willing to consent. Do you have just a couple of favorite resources for Centering Prayer that you could share with us? Well, I think if you're a beginner that Thomas Keating's book, Open, Heart, Open Mind, Open Heart, is a very good one because it walks you through the basics and answers a lot of questions. I like Cynthia Bourgeau's book, Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening. And then I just got a new book in the mail yesterday, and it's by David Frenette, who was a student of Thomas Keating's. It's called The Path of Centering Prayer, Deepening Your Experience. And I think it's, it's got a lot of answers to questions about what actually happens in Centering Prayer. So I've, I've started that, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm saying I like that one. And then of course, online, uh, contemplativeoutreach.org is the nonprofit that Thomas Keating originally founded that, that and the Heart of Texas, contemplativeoutreach.org. They list centering prayer groups. They list introductory retreats, which of course are all on Zoom right now. Uh, the other thing I would be lost without is my phone app because I use that to time myself. I use it for the bell and it has opening prayers, etc. And that's easy downloaded for free from contemplativeoutreach.org. So oh, those are the things the I there on yeah. their website to go get. Exactly. Yeah. That way, something else is holding time. Right, because you, it's just hard to do that and to, to let go, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, because you're wondering, has, how long has it been? Do I need to leave? Yeah, to let something else hold time. Well, just in case anyone else is curious about how we can join you and the group that you lead that I'm part of, you want to give that, that information? How could we join you, Nancy, on these Mondays and Fridays? Well, you could go to shpc.org and look for classes to register. We meet Monday and Fridays from 7.30 to 8 a.m. Central Time on Zoom. And anyone is welcome to join us from any time zone who wants to consent to that uh, relationship with the divine and, more importantly, is willing to get up early. Um, so we welcome anybody to come in. And we, I find some folks come each time, some folks are just one time or another, and that's okay. It's just fine to, to show up when you feel the need to show up. And uh, this week or this first week of October uh, is a good time to start because you're going to be re-explaining this, right? I am. It's a great time if you have never done Centering Prayer or maybe you have done some in the past and you're thinking about doing it again. We'll all be beginners again next week. Yes, we'll go back into the beginner's mind. Yes. Fabulous, Nancy. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you feel you'd like to share about Centering Prayer or its effect in your life with us. I think I want to go back to the concept of listening. Great. I think one of the things that's so lost right now in our world is listening. And it starts with ourselves listening to God, to, and it's listening to others and listening to ourselves. And I think that Centering Prayer has a lot to offer with that listening process. It is good training ground, as you mentioned, working on the brain, right? And I think it goes beyond the chair. It moves out and hopefully improves our listening the rest of the time in the world. So I think that is something that's needed. And I think that this contemplative practice really helps with that. Thank you for sharing your talents and your time with us today, giving us an experience of centering prayer. Well, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. <laughs>